Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Mike, taste this. All right. Oh, what is that? Sweet, Maddie. What is that? It's diabetes mellitus. Uh, I. Uh, what do you mean? Welcome to today's podcast on diabetes mellitus. I'm still getting this taste out of my mouth. What do you? Why is this so sweet, Matt? Okay, so diabetes in its meaning, diabetes, we've heard this word, that's a disease. Diabetes means to siphon, so it's a Greek word to mean to siphon or to pass through. So, these right. people who suffer diabetes, what are they passing a lot of? I don't know, but I'm not liking what I just drank. Well, wait, wait, okay, passing a lot of, what's the mellitus part? Mellitus comes from probably sweetness or honey. Oh, so I was just drinking honey. Yeah, lots of lots of sweet fluid honey, that's right. Fluid honey? Fluid honey, yeah. So fluid with lots of honey. Oh, well that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, Where'd you so, get it from? So diet. <laughs> So diabetes mellitus was has been a condition around forever, I guess. Hence the Greeks coming up with this term. Diabetes meaning to pass through. Okay, in in this case, lots of urine. And mellitus. Wait. wait. What did I just drink, Matt? And mellitus being sweet urine. So. <coughs> <laughs> all right, and and there's a there's an. A contrast to this, we have another one called diabetes insipidus. Have you heard of diabetes insipidus? Yeah, I've heard of it. What is it? Diabetes insipidus means tasteless. Oh. So, no taste. Okay. And so, there's two... just drinking water and water only. Yeah, that's right. And there's two main types of diabetes. There's diabetes mellitus and diabetes insipidus. Okay. And so, the Greek doctors, how would they have diagnosed? Well, I assume by... Just what you did. Yeah. So what, they drank their patient's urine? Maybe not drank as much like you did. Yeah, I take, drank... I don't even know how you were able to expel that much. They just they just uh, tasted it, essentially. So if it was sweet-like, which is mellitus, it would be that diabetes mellitus as a diagnosis. If it was tasteless, it would be diabetes insipidus. Now, I assume that we're going to talk about why the urine is sweet. You we will diabetes. get to that. That's okay. right. But... Just so we can finish off with insipidus. Insipidus is a different type of disease. It's caused by what? Well, I think it's got to do with uh, a hormone that our brain releases yep. called ADH, antidiuretic hormone. And they produce too much or not enough? 
Well, a- okay, so let's break that word down. Anti, meaning against, or the opposite. Diuresis means to pass through, yeah. particularly urine. So yeah. it stops you from peeing out. So I assume it's not producing enough ADH. Yeah, and so they, they urinate a lot. So, you know, many, many liters per day. Of so urine. when I release ADH, that tells me to not to pee, hold on to my water, I need it. Yep. These people, what, have a tumor or something that sort of stops them from releasing ADH? Potentially, yeah. It was that, that's a pituitary gland issue, isn't it? Posterior pituitary or hypothalamic issue. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's diabetes insipidus. We're not going to talk about that today. Done. We're going to focus on diabetes mellitus. Okay. Now, just really quickly, we might have heard another type of diabetes, maybe... Gestational? Gestational, which is referring to what? Being client? pregnant? Being pregnant. So mothers may develop this type of diabetes. So as a result of the placental hormones from the fetus, that can play around with the mother's sensitivity of insulin. So insulin becomes desensitized to the body. Therefore, what would happen to her glucose levels, do you think? Well, we know that we need insulin to tell the cells to take the glucose in. That's right. So without that insulin, the glucose is trapped in the bloodstream. Yep. And so basically that the mother can't access her own glucose. Yeah, so she But the baby can, right? That's what's going on. The baby's basically being really selfish here and leaching all the glucose from mum. And the baby takes the glucose. Mum doesn't get any. Mum's a diabetic. Bub gets monstrously large from all the glucose and uh, issues on both ends. Yeah, so the mother develops more of the typical diabetes case and the the baby just gets um, bombarded with a whole lot of sugary blood and grows quite rapidly as mm. a result. So that's gestational and that's going to make the bigger the baby bigger and bigger and harder to deliver and mm. that could be further complications. So that's gestational. We won't focus on that today. We're going to focus on basically type 1 and type 2. Okay. Can you tell me the what they mean? Uh, so as far as I'm aware, type 1 diabetes is what we call an insulin-dependent type of diabetes. Or idem. Or idem. Or idem. Okay. Idem. Insulin-dependent diabetes. Um, And was also known as uh, juvenile-onset diabetes. Who's juvenile here? Uh, You're the childish one. You just gave me pee to drink, Matt. And type 2 diabetes is or was known as insulin-independent. Yeah, or or NIDM. Or NIDM or adult-onset. Okay, and now why these have changed? So why don't we call it NIDM-IDM anymore and why don't we call it adult-onset? Or juvenile. Or I th- juvenile. I think it's got to do with the fact that the type 1 diabetes, it used to be seen in children, first of all. Well, when the first was diagnosed. In the first instance, it was yep. seen in children, usually under the age of, or individuals under the age of 40, because it's an autoimmune disorder, which means the cells that create insulin aren't creating insulin anymore. And so you require, you're de- dependent on insulin, so you need exogenous insulin. And it's usually recognized in children. And the reason why it's no longer seen as this is because type 2 diabetics... Which is usually adult onset. Which is usually adult onset because what's happened is that now their pancreas is making appropriate amounts of insulin. Mm -hmm. Their body's just not responding to that insulin like it should. They're resistant to it. They're quite resistant to it. Insulin-resistant diabetics. Because of this and the feedback systems, the pancreas just keeps making more and more and more insulin 
for these individuals. And so they're getting overworked because it's thinking, oh, I must not be making enough. It keeps making more and more. And sometimes the pancreas can just poop itself, or at least the cells that make the insulin just crap itself. And then they basically start... Maybe you get exhausted is better. A better term, Michael. Better term. And they start presenting like type 1 diabetics. Okay. So they're no longer... So it's not a juvenile onset. It's an adult onset. So that's normal. But because society has somewhat changed... There are, in type 2 now, there are even 12-year-olds being diagnosed with type 2. Yeah, and that has to do with two major factors, which is lack of exercise and a very poor diet. Yeah, and probably also genetics. I think there's a lot stronger genetic link in type 2 than 1. But we can, interesting. But we, we can get to that. Okay. So, that's the main... So, basically, to rehash, we don't call type 1 idem so much anymore or juvenile onset and we don't call type 2 adult onset or NIDM anymore. We basically call it 1 and 2, which is probably more to do with the pathophysiology, so how the disease manifests. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. All right, before we move into those two types, because that's what we'll be discussing today, let's just get a broad definition of what diabetes mellitus is. Now, you've already tasted what diabetes mellitus is. Yeah, I've tasted it. And it was sugary. It was very sweet. sweet. Okay, thanks, Michael. Now, diabetes mellitus is a syndrome of impaired carbohydrate, protein, and fat metabolism, okay? Okay. which is caused by either one of these two things, or actually potentially both, either an insufficiency of insulin, so completely no insulin on board, or uh, an insulin resistance, so the body becomes resistant to it. Okay. But sometimes, like in type 2, you can have both of them on board together. And so, insulin, just to reiterate some basic AMP, insulin is the key that tells cells of the body to absorb glucose. Yep. Right? And glucose is important to make energy, ATP. Okay. Okay. So, without that, the cells starve. Gotcha. Okay. Now, just to get some stats, about 220 million people worldwide have diabetes mellitus. Wow. And it's just getting worse. What's the high percentage? Type 2 or type 1? 2. Okay, like by a fair bit, right? Yeah, dramatically. I think it's like... I think only about 10% of, of diabetics will have type 1. Yeah, I was just going to say 9 out of 10 individuals are type 2 diabetics. So, it's becoming a huge health burden on the world. Yeah. And not only in the developed world, but the developing world as well. And so, it's that's expected to rise to, th- to, rise to 300 million in 2020. Jeez. That's a lot. So, in Australia itself, it's the sixth leading cause of death, diabetes mellitus. Okay, um, and yeah, it's, it's a significant disease. So before we move into the types, just finally, how it would be technically diagnosed, how a doctor would diagnose a person with diabetes, regardless of one or two, is just a high level of sugar in the blood, which is the blood sugar level or BSLs. At any one time or over time? Yeah, so the best test is a fast in blood test so rather than me test your blood just after you've had a can of coke because you'd expect you to have hyperglycemia or high amounts of blood sugar i would get you to fast for say 12 hours so the best time will probably be to, when you wake up come to the doctor take your blood and if your blood levels were kind of over 6.9 millimeters of mercury millimeters so of mercury <laughs> that, was just to, that was just to see if you're awake Millimoles per litre. Gotcha. So, over 6.9, then you'd be considered a diabetic. Okay. And obviously, you'd probably repeat that maybe now, once or twice. 
Yeah, once or twice. So, why would it be, just, just go back to first principles, why would, in a diabetic, why would the fasting glucose be so high? Okay, so um, regardless of type 1 or type 2, the problem is there is too much sugar in the blood, so there's not enough um, effective insulin to allow sugar to go into the um, cells to be utilized, so it it just stays in the blood. And so in type 1, there's no insulin at all, so the sugar just stays in the blood. Or in type 2, the insulin's not been effective, and so the sugar stays in the blood. And so, with that, the cells of the body thinks it's starving. That's right. And then, so what it does is it has some mechanisms which sort of try and make sugar from all, all the stores that it has, yep. which ends up releasing more sugar into the blood, right. which further exacerbates it because now this sugar is sort of trapped in the blood as well. Yeah. So, you actually get a, a an increase in the glucose. Exactly. Okay. So, let's now jump into the two types, type 1, type 2. Uh-huh. Let's start off with how they're slightly different to each other in their pathophysiology which just means how the disease develops can can we first talk about some of the the symptoms of diabetes the the symptomatic triad that we see with diabetics sure i just thought it'd be important to say that when somebody's diagnosing a diabetic apart from the one of the reasons why they go to see their doctor is because of these three things and this is polyuria which means lots of urine yep polydipsia which means you are Drinking a lot. Yep. And polyphagia. Which means you're... Eating a lot. Hungry. That's right. Eating a lot. So, excess urine output, excess thirst, and excess hunger. Three Ps. Three Ps. And you probably also find when you analyze the urine, it's very sweet. So, what's that called? Uh, Glucosuria. Okay. And that's what you drank just earlier. (laughs) Great. All right, so that's and and so basically, you, the doctor would give a, a diagnosis based on that as well. So if a person was to present with those three Ps and the sugary urine, plus their blood sugars through the roof, let's say above eleven, because this time they're not fasting, they've just come in, then they'd probably get the diagnosis on the spot just based on that. And that's wow. probably how most people are diagnosed. Wow. Can I just say I got a call from a family member from down in Victoria to say that my uncle. Uh, started to drift off a little bit while I was on the couch. Didn't look very good. Uh, wasn't very coherent. They called the ambulance. They took his blood glucose and it was 23 millimoles per litre. Not millimetres of mercury. Not millimetres of mercury. Good. Which meant they needed to give him a fair bit of insulin to sort of get him back wow. to reality. Yeah. Yeah, not nice. All right, so let's jump into type 1. So type 1 firstly is is a condition that happens in the younger population, generally than type 2. How do they look, these individuals? Well, they're usually, in comparison to type 2, they're more likely to be skinnier, thinner, whereas type 2 is more likely to be overweight and obese. Okay. Okay. Um, what occurs in this, we don't exactly know what the mechanism is that starts at rolling, but we do have an idea it's a combination of an, an immune or a non-immune cause. Uh-huh. Okay? So, if it's an immune cause, it's where your immune system has a kind of an autoimmune dysfunction and it starts to attack your pancreas, your own pancreas. Now, in the pancreas, you've got a couple of different cell types, right? Yeah. 
And you got the cells that release the insulin, which we're talking about here. Do you remember what those cells are called? They're the beta cells. All right. And then you got the cells that make glucagon, which is the hormone that does the opposite of insulin. Yeah. So insulin tells cells to use glucose. Mm-hmm. Glucagon tells cells to release glucose. So or liver anyway. Or at least the liver. Yeah. But it can tell other s- some other cells to release it as well. Okay. But predominantly, majority of the time, it's the, the liver. Uh, what cells release glucagon? Uh, not beta ones. No. Alpha. Alpha, okay. So beta insulin, alpha glucagon. So what happens in these type 1 diabetics is something's going on to cause a destruction in these beta cells. So it c- can be an immune response, so that, that potentially could have a generic, a genetic link. That's better. Okay, where the immune system des- destroys it, or there could be an environmental. And they're starting to think that people with type 1, it's a stronger environmental link. Really? And this could be they have developed um, a type of infection, okay, or they have possibly even um, in countries that have a very, very high hygiene level and causes an issue with the body's immune system. Is this like, is this in utero? Uh Good point. I'm not sure. Okay. Not sure. But there are some countries that are more have a high incidence because it's hypothesized of the hygiene link. Wow. And, and even things like asthma can be similar. But any in any case, so it could be viral, environmental, um, aller- an allergic reaction, or sometimes they maybe think like cow's milk, things like that. Really? Yeah. So we get... In either case, we get a kind of an inflammatory process going on in the pancreas, which leads to a insulinitis, yeah. and the beta cells become dysfunctional and they become fibrotic. Wow! And so that functional aspect to the kidney, sorry, to the pancreas, becomes diminished to the point where there's no more insulin release. Wow! Now this is probably going to take years and years and years. Now, f- until the person becomes clinical and shows the signs and symptoms, such as the polyuria, polydipsia, polyphagia, yeah, they really need about eighty to ninety percent of all those beta cells destroyed. Wow. Okay. Now, often, yeah, is that are they going to be the first symptoms that these individuals present with? What is that u- usually what it is, or? Yeah, so certain things like um, the person would start to get really hungry. Yeah. So the parents, because it's happening more like in children, the parents will see the child's really ravenous, eating a lot. But kids do that all the time, so that may not... But they're losing weight at the same time. Ah. So they're losing weight, eating heaps, lethargic, no energy, okay, and then might start to develop the, the peeing excessively, drinking excessively, and then other manifestations which we can potentially talk about a bit later okay so that's the type one is that making all sense yeah i think so okay so the end point is no insulin okay and then as a result hyperglycemia yeah lots of sugar in the blood okay compare that to type two yeah type two has a much stronger genetic link so now i would think that for a disease in which you've got destruction of certain cell types and this destruction happens at an earlier age that this would have a stronger genetic link than something which we think is more commonly associated with diet and and lack of exercise and so forth. But you're saying that type 2 has a stronger genetic link. Yeah, so even in identical twins, they found in type 1, if you're an identical twin, if you develop type 1, 
the other twins' chance of getting type one would would be only around fifty percent, which is still pretty high. But if you compare that to type two, if you were my twin, identical, like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I had type two diabetes, developed obviously later in life, you have almost a hundred percent chance of getting it. Wow. So. If you're my twin and you're a type two, there it's it's pretty likely that I'm also going to get type yeah, two. Yeah, and that's the genetic aspect to it. Wow. And so that's why you know parents and their subsequent children, it's high higher chance that they'll get it. Okay. Wow. So strong genetic link, but the bigger factor in this side of things, rather than a complete destruction of beta cells and no insulin, the big issue, to, or at least to get the ball rolling, is insulin resistance. Which means the cells just they're sick of insulin. Kind just of, like, they just whatever. don't respond to it. Yeah, that's okay. right. And a very strong link to this is fat. So, oh. adipocytes. Yeah. Okay, so if a person has a higher degree of um, distribution of fat in their body, okay, so a BMI, body mass index, above, let's say, 30, they've got a much higher risk of developing type 2 than someone who doesn't have that. And do we know why that's the case? Well, adipocytes cause... so have an excessive amount of adipocytes lead to that insulin re- uh, resistance or that insulin desensitization. Okay. Particularly if the um, fat is distributed more so around the abdominal region. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. So that has a, has a strong aspect to it. So, so you're saying, because we always think about sugar and diabetes. Yeah. So you're saying that fat intake is more associated with diabetes than sugar intake? I'm not sure about the fat intake, but just you, you putting on weight. Ah, so let's storage. say let's say you your body's designed to be let's say 50 kilos. Yeah. Okay. Your pancreas has developed to be catered catering for a size of 50 kilos. Mm. And if you go to 100 kilos, okay, so you doubled your body size in yeah. fat, your pancreas kind of doesn't have that ability to be able to deal with that anymore. Wow. As well as the state, the metabolic state you are in with all that extra fat makes you resistant to insulin. So your cells, because adipocytes, fat cells, need insulin very strongly to take up the glucose. And turn it into fat. Yeah, I forget the mechanism. I'm not sure if they do it and just repackage it into fatty acids or the liver does it. I just can't remember. But they definitely, it would definitely need insulin to, um, because insulin is an anabolic um, uh, enzy- enzyme, uh, hormone. hormone, peptide hormone. That's right. So it needs you need insulin to store to get bigger to yeah. grow. Okay, so that insulin That's allows why some bodybuilders take it. Insulin, they take right. insulin and insulin like growth factors. Factor. Yeah. yeah, right. To get big. So you need insulin on board to allow to store, and so it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. So um, as the the person puts on more and more weight, they become more insulin resistant. Therefore, they become more hyperglycemic. Yep, very good. So, higher blood sugars. Therefore, the, the pancreas goes, hey, we need more insulin here. So, I produce more and more and more insulin. And so, the more insulin tells the fat cells to store more and more... Glucose. Fat. Oh, yeah, fat. And therefore, the person gets bigger. And big, and this is continues to cycle, continues to cycle. So it's pretty a vicious cycling. But these individuals, at some point, if they're overworking their pancreas, mm. or at least those beta cells, yeah. sometimes that, like we said earlier, those beta cells get exhausted, 
and then they stop releasing the insulin. That's right. And so these type 2 diabetics then... Almost become type 1. And are reliant upon exogenous or external sources of insulin. Yeah, like type 1. Wow. Right. right. But but saying that, you know, some some diabetics, type 2 diabetics, will present with type 2 diabetes without getting to that final point. So just the resistance itself could be enough to be diagnosed with that high blood sugar. So that's really the difference between type 1 and type 2. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Let's quickly move on to what are the main complications associated with both. Okay. In either case, the main symptom is... Increased glucose in the... Oh, symptom? Oh, polyuria, I'll say. Well, now, in terms of the complication, well, the end result of either case, you're going to have a build-up of... Glucose in the blood. Yep. So, okay. either one or two, the main problem is hyperglycemia. Okay. Okay. Now, if there was going to be a bonus with having type 1, which there really isn't, but yeah. if there was going to be a plus compared to type 2, because type 1s are presenting so young, they haven't been exposed to the hyperglycemia for years and years and years like type 2. Mm. Okay. So, they are less likely to have all the detrimental effects to the whole body um, with with this excessive glucose as type 2. So I think it's important to tell everybody that glucose in when it's remaining in the blood is very damaging. Yeah, very damaging. It, 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 uh, microvascular damage, macrovascular yeah, very complications. Good. So micro meaning... Small. So small vessel damage. Yeah. And macro, large vessel damage as well. Right. So basically when a type 1 diabetic presents to the doctor and is diagnosed, the doctor isn't really concerned by any complications at this point from long-term exposure of hyperglycemia. Gotcha. Okay. He, he or she wouldn't probably look at that kind of thing for another five years. Yeah. Whereas a type 2 diabetic, they've potentially had this for a decade, if mm. not longer. So they've already had a lot of damage already occurring. So they might actually present, they might one of their first presentations might be one of those microvascular complications like... Um, retinopathy? Of, yeah, retinopathy, which is a change in vision. Ah. Okay, so damage is already done. Yeah. Okay. So let's just pause for one second. Okay. When you have too much sugar in your blood for too long, mm. do you know what happens? Well, you get these micro and macrovascular changes. Yeah, so your body kind of makes these sugary molecules called advanced glycosylated end products or age. Ah, okay. so these ages. That's right. And they can go into the, the micro and va- macular system and cause their detrimental effects. So in the micro vessels, the very small ones, they can cause changes to... No idea. Well, you said one, the eyes. Yeah. So that can cause the blood vessels in your eyes to kind of grow crazy like a like a weed or a vine oh. gone wild. And all these little blood vessels... So you get better vision? All these blood vessels grow all over your retina. Oh, so worse vision. Worse vision. Oh. Okay. Where in your kidney... So you can get renal disease too from it. Yep, you get renal disease. And then uh, it also affects your nerves. So they, these products or derivatives from the sugar jump into the myelin sheath or the insulating part of the neurons mm. and kind of break them open. Wow, so that means your nerves don't send impulses as well. Yeah, especially your sensory nerves. 
So you oh. you'd start to lose sensation in your body. Is that that neuropathy, that diabetic neuropathy exactly. that we hear about? Ah, and that okay. usually is the hand and stockings. So the people would feel it. Sorry, not hand and stockings. Glove and stockings. Yeah. That's where they would feel the loss in sensation in their uh, where you would wear gloves and where you'd wear stockings. So the peripheral. Peripheral. Usually oh. peripheral. Ah. More likely peripheral. Okay. Okay. I'm getting it. And then you go into the big, big, big vessels. Okay, so the big arteries, yeah. you start to generally have developing like atherosclerosis. So you can develop conditions like peripheral vascular disease, yep. ischemic heart disease, and cerebral vascular disease. So strokes, heart attacks. Um, and as far as I'm aware, one of the reasons why this is the case is because often these vessels are quite smooth, and then this increased, this, this, um, uh, hypoglycemia over a long period of time damages the s- how the, these vessels and they get remodeled and they're no longer smooth and when they're a bit jagged and got some edges coming off that they're more likely to capture sticky things such as fat and this forms plaques and yeah. further deposits and then this blocks vessels and then this can lead to X amount of downstream effects. That's right. Okay. Sounds great. Well, well sounds, sounds great. terrible actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to switch it to you because yeah. you're an expert in, or you're better than me in this area. <laughs> I love that you'll never refer to me as an expert. <laughs> With type 1 and type 2, we have all those similarities of long-standing sugar in the blood for many, many years. Yeah. So the doctor needs to be on top of those micro and muscular complications. Mascular. I said, I said macro. <laughs> Macrovascular. Now, but there are two acute complications which are short. Come on very short and can be very devastating. Yeah. Okay. Type 1 generally has one that's called... DKA or diabetes or diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah, not nice. And type 2 has one that's HHS, which is hyperosmol hyperglycemia syndrome. Yeah. So these are very acute onsets when onset when the sugar is not managed. So with DKA yeah. or in type 1, what's actually happening? Okay, so DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, this basically is a means of... So if you think about that glucose, right, that glucose is trapped in the bloodstream. which means effectively we can't use it to create energy. Now, in a very short period of time, you have stored glucose, which is called glycogen, in the liver. And so we break that glycogen down. This is called uh, uh, glycogenolysis. You break that down into glucose because the body goes, I'm hungry, I'm starving, let's break that glycogen into glucose and we'll use that. But again, you need insulin to be able to utilize it into the cells. So you're just releasing more glucose, no effect. So your liver's releasing even more glucose even though you've got heaps of glucose. Exactly right. Now you're going to hit a point where ultimately you're going to use those glycogen stores and you're going to start moving on to other means of energy production, which is basically fats and proteins. Okay. Now... What happens is fats are actually a very effective use, uh, 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 an effective energy source. And so when you start to use, get the liver to break down these fats into fatty acids and glycerol, mm-hmm. that then starts to feed in to try and reverse engineer glucose. Okay, to okay? make more glucose from make fat. Make more glucose. Now, when you do, re- do this reverse engineering from fats into glucose, you end up overloading a system. Now, when you overload this system with all these fatty acids coming in, Mm. what happens is you can't produce any more glucose, and so you produce a byproduct. You produce this secondary source of energy, and they're called ketones. Ketones. And there's a couple of ketones, like uh, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate, 
okay. which is a, a true ketone, but it's recognized as a ketone, beta-hydroxybutyrate and uh, acetic acid. Okay? Now... Is there also acetone? And acetone as well. And what's acetone? Well, acetone is that smell that you get when... It's a sweet smell. Acetone is Isn't basically that, like that sweet, fruity smell that you get. Don't you use that on your fingernails? Yeah. You use it on your fingernails, uh, me specifically, to remove... Isn't it? Isn't it to... Uh, to remove nail polish? You tell me. I don't know. Isn't that why you use it? I'm trying to act coy here, as <laughs> if I don't know. Um, in, so, you start to release all these ketones. ketones. These and what, ketone why bodies. would you want to make ketones? Because what ketones can do yeah. is they can cross the blood-brain barrier yeah. and they get into the brain yeah. and they can be used as an alternate energy source. To glucose. To glucose. Okay. Now, the problem is... Because your brain wouldn't function too well if it didn't have glucose. No, that's right. Okay. And the... Problem is, though, ketone bodies be uh, are acidic, and they increase the acid of the, blood. So, of the blood, the acidity of your blood. So now, your pH. blood's supposed to be 7.35, 7.45, and it starts to drop. And the more ketones you make, it starts to drop even further. And this is moving into the state, the DKA state. That's the diabetic ketoacidosis, and we know that's bad. So, your body's going to try and do whatever it can. Yeah. So, this is what we call a metabolic acidosis, right? Right. But your body can try and respond to this a number of different ways because you've got two major buffering systems, the respiratory buffering system and the renal. So what you can sort of do is you can start to respire more. Is that a word? <sighs> yeah. Okay. You increase respiration. You start to breathe more because breathing away carbon dioxide effectively breathe, breathes away hydronines. And right. Acid. So a person with DKA generally in type 1 diabetes because they've got the insulin deficiency, they could present to health professional or ED mm. with DKA. Yeah. And because they're essentially acidotic, this could be quite serious. Absolutely. So because they're trying to get rid of that acid through breathing, their breathing rate would be quite rapid. Exactly. And that's called... Respiratory acidosis. Or Cosmal breathing, I uh, think. Cosmal breathing, yeah, and yeah. And because they're producing lots of ketones, they might s- their breath might smell a bit like a fruity or a nail polishy smell. Yeah. And because they've got heaps of acid on board, they're going to... Potassium can come out of their cells mm. and become depleted. Because you swap hydrogen ions for potassium ions. Yeah, makes sense. And so they could have hypokalemia, mm-hmm. which is a devastating possibility yeah and because they've um tried to counter around all this sugar they've been peeing a lot so they could be uh, hypovolemic or have lost heaps and heaps of urine and therefore blood volume which is a number of issues yeah, and so it's a serious serious condition i think it's interesting to say that some individuals have been pulled over by the police for a breathalyzer uh, because they've been driving erratically and they look drunk they act drunk they don't really know where they are. They're in a confused state. They give them the breathalyzer and they blow positive, but these individuals are just DKA oh, wow. because the acetone also blows a positive reading on the breathalyzer. Yeah, right. Didn't yeah. know that. And so this needs to be rectified pretty quickly. If not, the person can go into a coma. How can we rectify this, mate? It's pretty easy. Well, at least the DKA is. Oh, you because they've got no insulin, I guess you have to put insulin in. Give them insulin. Okay. Now, are you going to give them a huge amount of insulin in one go? Probably not. You probably didn't want to do a number of things. You probably want to rectify the volume, so give them some fluids, rectify the potassium, and 
rectify the insulin. That's right. You don't want to give too much insulin because then it's going to have the opposite effect and you put them in a coma. Yeah, right. Not a nice thing. All right, so that's DKA. Okay. Well done. Let's move on to HHS. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> HHS, HHS. What, what does it stand for again? Uh, what is it? Hyperosmolar... Hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia syndrome. Very good. Okay, so this... so this is the type 2 acute state of DKA. And basically what it is is you've got too much glucose in your bloodstream. Yep. That glucose is going to get filtered by your kidneys. Usually in a normal state, all the glucose that's filtered by your kidneys and then reabsorbed back into the body. But in HHS, what happens is you've got so much glucose that's there that your kidneys filter it and it remains in that filtrate. So it can't get enough back. Can't pull enough back into the body. And because there's such a high concentration of this glucose now in this filtrate, we know about osmolarity. We know that when you have a high concentration of something on one side of a membrane compared to the other, the highest concentration is going to pull water towards it to dilute it out. So this high concentrated filtrate of glucose pulls water in towards it and you end up peeing out a huge amount of glucose. But at the same time, you're pulling in sodium and potassium potentially and you're peeing it all out. And so you're going to be losing salt and potassium and all that. You lose electrolytes, which is salts, and you lose all this glucose as well and you become dehydrated. Okay, so that we've done the two types and we've seen the complications both how they're similar and how the acute ones are. Quickly, let's just go and how it's diagnosed in both cases. Really, um, the main thing that the doctor will probably do is get the person to do a fasting blood glucose, as we spoke about earlier. So this is where they just go without food and then they take their blood over maybe a couple of times. And if the blood sugar is above 6.9 millimoles uh, per litre, they would be considered diabetic. Another thing that can be done is just the, as we spoke about, if you have those, you present with the signs and symptoms, whether it's DKA or HHS or the polys, three Ps, with an increase in BSL, um, you would be, or above 11, you'll be diagnosed with diabetes. And just remember with DKA, um, most people who, because it's in type 1, most people who will present with the DKA, what what kind of population do you think we're talking about? So it's obviously a type one diabetic, but in one popu- in what populace would these people present like well, that? Well, usually the DKA is going to present in individuals who don't have any insulin. So yep. either they haven't been diagnosed with diabetes yep. yet. So it's a so common presentation for the first time that they know that they have diabetes. Yep. Or because usually it's the younger generation that are diagnosed, they are quite poor at managing their insulin. Particularly males? Particularly males. Yep. Um, or they may have an infection of some sort. Yeah. So their body is trying to fight something off, which means they need more glucose and the insulin that they currently take isn't sufficient yep. to pull that glucose in to use for energy to fight off the infection. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yep. And that's the common presentation of DKA. People who are either first presentation with with the type 1 diabetes um, those who are sick or had surgery or infected, so they are stressed out, or an, a, po- a population of younger males generally who probably think to a degree they're a bit invincible and not stick into a, the, the regime of their treatment. Done. Now, uh, finally, another really good diagnostic tool that can be used for diabetes is the glycosylated, remember those end products, but hemoglobin can be glycosylated as well. So glycosylated hemoglobin. Yeah, and that's called HB, hemoglobin, A1Cs. So you can do that from like a blood plasma reading? 
Yeah, so basically, I'd assume it's automated, done by a computer. Yeah. And so it's just basically looking at the hemoglobin and seeing if it's like, they're like donuts, like sugary donuts. And so oh. if they've got heaps of sugar stuck to them, so anything above 6.5%, which is around, correlated to around 7 to 8.5 millimoles per litre, that's the mean sugar state that the body's been in for the last two to three months. So it gives the physician a really good understanding of how the sugar has been for the last two to three months. Oh, that's that's interesting. So it gives a mean value, really, an objective value for those two to three months. So it's oh, very, cool. very good reading. And that's it's very good also for the physician to see how the treatments are working because they can they go and take blood, do the HbA1Cs and see if it's now been under control. Nice. Look at that. So that's really the uh, the diagnosis. Let's finally finish on the treatment. So what's the difference in their treatment? Type one's pretty straightforward. They just need insulin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they just need exogenous. Yeah. External insulin. So just injected. Yeah. And okay. it's usually in four types. Yeah. It can be very ultra short acting insulin. So it peaks within twenty minutes. Yeah. It's last in the blood for about three hours and then it's gone there's rapid which peaks at about two to three hours stays around for about six there's intermediate which peaks about six to twelve hours stays around for 18 hours and then there's a long 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 acting insulin which peaks about 14 to 20 hours but hangs around for over a day and i assume depending on when you eat and what you eat depends on what type you take yeah Okay. So, in many cases, what they'll try to do in terms of the doctors is keep one long acting going so it's just always at a, got a basal level of insulin. But when the person's about to eat, they give them probably an ultra short acting one and then just regulate when their food intake. Okay. What about a type 2? Type 2, what do you reckon the best treatment regime for most type 2 diabetics would be? Diet and exercise. Yeah. So, diet regulating what you put in, moving the muscle. So why is moving the muscle so important? Well, because at rest, your muscles, your skeletal muscles, need insulin as the key to bring that glucose in, like we stated. But did you know when you do physical exercise and you contract that muscle, Mm. you don't actually need the insulin to pull the glucose into the muscle? So the the exercise in contracted muscles, skeletal muscle, in, it becomes insulin independent. It's a non-pharmacological way to manage hyperglycemia in people who are insulin resistant. How wow. good's that? Yeah, amazing. So, a combination of diet, exercise, and weight loss can actually solve or almost cure 25% of type 2 diabetics. That's amazing. Without any drugs. Think about Think about the economic burden and what this could do. This could save people's lives. This could save the government money. Endless. Endless. So, if that's done and it still doesn't help with the hyperglycemia, the next uh, point of treatment is the oral, so taken through the mouth, oral anti-hyperglycemic drugs. Okay, so these are drugs that will bring bring down the blood sugar levels. Examples of these, so I'll just mention two very quickly, is metformin, which is a drug that helps to uptake sugar most likely in the fat cells, skeletal cells, and stop that liver making new glucose. So it has a very important job to pull sugar out of the blood. Okay, What it does 
really well is because it doesn't play around with insulin levels, it doesn't cause the person to put on any extra weight. Okay? Ah. So metformin is good to not allow any further weight gain, but because it also doesn't allow any increase in insulin release, it doesn't cause any hypoglycemic events. Perfect. Now, the other one is the sulfonylureas, such as glipizide. All right, so this one actually goes to the beta cells and tells it to release insulin. Okay, so that works more on the insulin release insufficiency in the type 2 diabetes. And so this drug works more at getting more insulin into the blood. So that can actually do the opposite. It can cause people to put on weight and could potentially cause a person to have a hypoglycemic event. And I guess after two or three medications of the oral antihypoglycemics, if these aren't managed, then the doctor would probably then move them on to insulin, which would be the similarity with type 1 diabetes. Cool. Look at that. So that's really type 1 and type 2 in a nutshell. Good job. We covered a lot? I think so, in the time period, yeah. So let me just summarize quickly. We did the definition of overall. We did the type 1, type 2 how they are similar and how they're different in the pathophysiology, how their complications are some, in some cases similar, but how their acute complications are much different, how they're diagnosed and how they're treated, and how important it is to be on top of those complications because if you don't look after your eyes, you're going to lose your eyesight, so you need to have that one-year eye exam. You, you need to make sure that your feet are being looked after so you go to the podiatrist every year to make sure no ulcers are forming and you've got to keep the blood pressure down and the, and the lipid levels down to stop any of those macro or micro vascular diseases. Sounds good. So that's diabetes. What do you reckon? I think we did a bloody good job. And you still got that taste in your mouth? No, I've washed it out now. With, Thank you. With the insipidus. With the, the tasteless. That's it, with the tasteless. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Maddie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.